those stats are probably the most Sam Bradford. But the thing, surely, surely the most Sam Bradford game would be those stats, and then he tore his ACL in the <laughs> fourth quarter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. I'm not Connor Kelly. I will never be Connor <laughs> Kelly. But a man can dream. Uh, this week, it's Thanksgiving. So what are we thankful for? And looking at a few things around the NFL that you know have made, we've been grateful for this season. Uh, then we're going to be looking at a bit of the news, as usual, some injuries, some records being set, some records being failed at. Uh, and some rather strange statements from the commissioner. And then, as usual, we'll be on to our reviews of the games from the previous week. Some good, some bad, some neutral. Our picks for next week and some questions from you, the listener. So, hey, guys. Uh, we've got me, Harry, as usual. I'm filling in for Connor, who's off doing uh, work things in Frankfurt for the Central Bank. Cause he's very important and far <laughs> too important to be with us this week. Uh, we've also got Ronan. Hello, now, Connor. <laughs> and uh, we've also brought back one of our original crew, friend and friend of the podcast, Ian. <laughs> Hey, it's good to be back. Yeah, yeah, it's good to have you again. It's been what, nearly more than a year. More than a year yeah, since yeah. since we last uh, had you on the podcast. It was the first episode, and that was about it. Then. That's right. Well, we we did uh, edit things you said and cut oh, them yeah, at the yeah, end yeah. of <laughs> another episode. Yeah. It's it's obviously good to, to have a bit of a throwback every now and again. <laughs> so, uh, any news, guys? Anything anything interesting happening recently with you? No. Yeah, there's like an awkward pause and then nothing happens and then yeah, they yeah, we're like, yeah, yeah okay, yeah. grand. So I guess we'll, we'll get straight into it then. So firstly, we're going to be looking at what we're, uh, what we're thankful for in this Thanksgiving season, other than obviously the dispossession of lands and spreading of smallpox to Native Americans. Uh, so we'll start off with, with you, Ian, since you're back. Uh, what's it that you're thankful for well, in the uh, Originally, what I was going to say was, I was going to, uh, I'm thankful for Latavius Murray, and there was a, you know, a fantasy football reason for that originally. <laughs> I won my matchup this week by 0.16 <laughs> of a point because of Murray or whatever. Really, I, what I'm thankful for is the Raiders in general. Um, I uh, have really enjoyed them this season. Uh, Murray has been you know, a particularly solid uh, player in the last five games, the game against Denver being a particular highlight. Even last night, just looking at the statistics, he had 12 carries for 33 yards and he had five for five catches on for 59 yards um, and I, he didn't score any touchdowns or anything but like he's he's an incredibly solid player and they're just really fun to watch you know and those three guys four guys Carr Murray Cooper and Crabtree just seem to knit so well I mean like I think Cooper showed up to the game yesterday in a Derek Carr jersey <laughs> uh, you know which is probably a way to soft soap as quarterback but uh, you know it, it was great and look I was reading a thing today, you know, these guys and the way they've played this season has given a strong case for keeping football in Oakland, which is a a very good thing. And it seems that they've agreed some sort of a framework to keep the Raiders in Oakland for a while. And that's fantastic. It's something I'm very thankful for. Uh, I was actually, I was in the Bay Area around the end of the season last year and it was just, I read in the newspapers, just eulogy after eulogy for Oakland football because they really thought they were on the way out and I, that's you know uh, that team the way they're playing and what's been going on behind the scenes that's it looks like they might be staying for a while so that's something I'm thankful for yeah absolutely it would be obviously a shame for that fan base they would lose the team to somewhere like Vegas so yeah, yeah. Uh, I think you know if, if this is if this is going to be coming towards the end of the Raiders it's a hell of a show but hopefully hopefully there's enough going on there now to convince uh, convince people to keep them staying exactly what about yourself Ronan nice for uh, California to have at least one good team uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, for me personally, or the person I'm going to give thanks to is Terrell Pryor. Like, I think every team, every preseason has one of those players who's a project. That kind of player who 
no one thinks can actually make it, but they bring in to see what they can do. Terrell Pryor has been that player for I think four teams at this point. Yeah. <laughs> but he went to he went into Cleveland and a new coach comes in, Hugh Jackson, and actually turns him into a genuine bona fide number one wide receiver. And not just for any team, for the Cleveland Browns while they're like going through five different quarterbacks, including Terrell Pryor, and having <laughs> basically making Cleveland somewhat worth watching this season. Now they've tailed off a bit towards the end of the season, but earlier on in the season, Terrell Pryor and that team were actually quite entertaining to watch, and it was good to see that Cleveland finally got some smidgen of luck. Like it's somewhat random, but it's actually the accumulation of a lot of work, a lot of effort, and basically one of those things that works out. It's just it's just one of those good uh, like feel good stories because you know every year like hundreds of players drop out of the league but it's always nice to see that one who works hard enough, who tries hard, even if they change position, can still make it in the league. You know, it's just a good, feel-good story. Couldn't happen to a nicer player and couldn't happen to a better franchise. Although, it is entirely possible that the Cleveland Cavaliers will have won two championships by the time the Browns win another game. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> what a strange sentence. <laughs> they've got At least, you know, they've got somebody to keep them entertained. Yeah. But yeah, it hasn't been... Hasn't been fun for Cleveland, but Pryor's certainly the wrong, been a, a bright the spot. The tight end for them and they'll win it, so they'll be fine. <laughs> 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 the second ring for the Cavs and then a transition over, yeah. much like every other tight end that we've ever heard of. Yeah. Except Gronk, who I don't think played basketball, which is interesting. I don't know what he did, presumably just pounded kegs yeah. through college. <laughs> 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 Speed up nerds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, second sport was wedgies. Yeah. <laughs> So for for myself, um, I also have one that's that's similar to similar to Ian. It's a two part thing. First thing I want to give thanks to is, is Buffalo Bills fans. Uh, not only because you know I think it takes some loyalty to stick by that team in you know a time where the NFL is trying to become more and more uh, staid and proper, and we have all these directors from the league coming down about this, and we still like a couple of years ago they brought these rules about what you can bring to the stadium, and basically attempts to like corporatize the fun. Tailgates are, I think, one of the few remaining uh, great fan experiences in the NFL. And you look at increasingly stadiums are trying to move people further away. They've got these parking lots, you know, mm. five miles from the stadium, and they're trying to do all this stuff. Buffalo Bills fans, these are the guys who every week are setting tables on fire and then doing moves they saw on WWE Raw the night before <laughs> to each other. They're playing all the, like, they're doing the, you know the thing where you put the stick up to your eye in the tube and you look through it and spin around really, really quickly when you're already drunk? Cream each other giving us, well, there won't be Vine moments anymore, but just golden little video clips. So I think, you know, I think actually their, their, their contribution to fan culture is insane as out there as it is. I think it's actually really important and something that's being forgotten and something the league is trying to gloss over and pretend isn't really part of the game. So it's really good to see those guys sort of flying the flag high, having fun, doing mad shit, because that's part of what football is about and that's part of what the whole experience of the game is about. It's not just about what happens on the field. The similar part to Ian is about things that happened on the field. And yes, the thing I am thankful for this season is, is a punter, is Marquette King. Because not only has Marquette King been probably the best punter in the league, maybe he's already with Johnny Hecker, but like King has been incredible this season, but he's also been is, is fun. He's a guy who, if you look at like his social media and his fan engagement there, is fantastic. He's really, really like active on that and really, really engaged well with the fans, does a lot of media appearances and just does a lot of little fun things. But also it's just a guy who you see... And, as a punter, having fun playing the game, and it's not this sort of forced Pat McAfee, oh, I'm a stand-up comedian kind of kooky, goofy weirdness that's really, really put on. It's just a guy enjoying himself. He's, like, doing dances after, like, pitting teams back in the five, after pulling off coffin corners. Punters aren't meant to do that. 
But he's able to do it because he's like, yeah, I'm really good. I'm enjoying myself. This is a part of the game that people forget is important. I'm going to celebrate it as if, it were, if I was doing well in the other parts of the game I would do that's accepted to be. And I just think that's really cool that he's able to just go out there, be himself, and say, yeah, you know what? Puppets are important too. I'm going to make make myself known, make myself noticed, and make people sort of sort of see that. So fair play to you, Market King. You're giving us great entertainment value. You're playing fantastic punt football. So uh, I'm thankful for that because I think that's brought a, brought a little bit of light to what is often seen as a very dreary and dull part of the game. So that's what that's what I uh, are thankful for this this holiday season. I guess not a holiday season for us, but for the Americans <laughs> who are listening, it is. So uh, yeah, I hope everyone enjoys that. Has a great time uh, with the turkey and. Whatever stuff, I like, yeah. stuff, yeah. I'm, I'm not actually that up on Thanksgiving, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I heard it's great. So we'll move on from that. We'll go on to some of the other news from the week. <laughs> Interesting news coming out of Dallas. Um, this happened after we recorded last week, but before the games. Tony Romo effectively conceded the job. He went out and gave a press conference with a little, quite obviously scripted statement, but one that you, you're willing to believe he, he, he wasn't necessarily unhappy making. Basically saying that it's Dak Prescott's time. He's done great things with the team, and it's time for him to lead. Now, we had our discussion uh, beforehand about whether or not we go with Romo or Dak. Looks like I was wrong uh, in siding with Romo in that case. The Cowboys have gone with Dak. Romo is supporting them, so that's the case for the time being anyway. I'm moving forward for as long as that lasts. And the way he's playing, I think that's going to last a very long time. So I suppose the question is now, what happens to Tony Romo? There's rumours of off-season moves to Denver uh, in a trade. There's a couple of teams who are looking for a quarterback and have cap space, like you could point to the Jaguars or the Bears, who aren't, probably aren't going to re-sign Alshon Jeffrey, and then we'll have cap room. So, uh, Ronan, I'm going to throw this over to you. What do you think the future holds for Tony Romo? I think he's going to get at least one more shot to be a starter. And I think he has the reputation around the league. I think he's very highly valued in the league that he could latch on to a contender. And I think he will hold out and be willing to take a pay cut almost to try and, 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 and basically get that outcome. It's a tough situation because he has quite a lot of cap space associated with him, so there'll be problems trying to get the Cowboys to actually trade him to someone like that, whereas a team like the Browns, for example, might be willing to eat some cap space or restructure out of time and give him a lot of money and help the, like, basically help the Cowboys out of a bit of uh, dead money, etc. like that. So I think it'll be tough, but I think, you know, where's the will, there's a way. And with a player like Tony Romo, you have the potential there to take a franchise over the top, especially one like Denver, for example, which really, if you put a good quarterback, not even a great quarterback, a good quarterback in there, you can almost, you know, pencil them in as a Super Bowl contender. This isn't like the Peyton Manning situation where he was a free agent. It's a trade situation. So there's like an extra layer of complication there. Yeah. But if I was to guess, I think I think he'll get what he wants, that they will let him go to a team that at least isn't at the in the cellar of potential teams. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, and that's definitely one to keep uh, keep an eye on in the off season because yeah. he does look like he still has definitely still has something left in the tank if he can if he can come Absolutely, back from his injury yeah. playing like he was before. So we've got a bit a bit of more worrying news. Although it looks like it's going to be okay. I'm just going to briefly touch on this. Uh, Bruce Arians had a bit of a health scare. He was hospitalised with chest pains. It looks like he's going to be all right. Not much to say here. We just want to, you know, obviously say all the best to him. Wish him a speedy recovery. It hasn't been a great season for coaches getting hurt. So, you know, obviously all the, all the best there. And uh, hopefully he'll be able to to return soon. And uh, hopefully Arizona will be able to do a bit better than they have been this season. There was a bit of a patocalypse uh, this week. We had 12 missed extra points. Now that's the most ever. Now obviously that's different with the uh, kick being moved back. Players are Kickers are missing more pats than they are missing field goals in the same range. So something a bit strange going on here. Ian, what do you make of this? Do you think there's like some kind of problem going on with kickers? Is it psychological? Is it making the adjustment? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Like, at the start of last season, when the rules actually changed, there was this breaking in period, and it was like kicker apocalypse, as you said. You know, it was total panic. So the it really is strange that all of a sudden it seems to have cropped up again, and not at the start of the season. But like, look, I think tiredness has to be a factor, and just just general wear and tear over the season. People are just losing, maybe not losing their nerve, but just kind of losing a bit of their confidence and their physical ability and stuff like that. I I couldn't put it down to one thing I, I'm not really sure what's happening but it, it seemed like you know a big enough aberration in a week stats to kind of justify a serious look at what's actually going on you know yeah absolutely it, it's interesting because we've got a lot of a lot of kickers and it, like you said it wasn't that much of a problem last season no. something happened this year people settled in like very quickly you know there was I think it was you know two or three weeks where kickers are getting caught and you know there was all kinds of panic but like you say you know it was uh, it, it is a bit strange that it, it occurs kind of at this point in the season as opposed to Absolutely. It'll be interesting to see where that goes, whether or not that maintains or whether or not people bounce back from that. Uh, obviously too late for Blair Walsh. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a strange one and a, an unfortunate record. So had the most ever penalties by a team in this season and the most ever missed extra points in a week. So it's, it's been an interesting yeah. year, if nothing else. Yeah. Seattle cut Christian Michael and he's landed in Green Bay. It looks like he's going to stick around longer than uh, Niall Davis managed to. It'll be interesting what role he has, obviously, with Lacey out for the season. Starks is back now, and they're trying the whole Ty Montgomery experiment. Run, do you think he's going to be able to succeed down there? Um, I think he has a chance. I think, like, Jane Starks, I think the book is out, and Jane Starks is a very limited player. But I think, you know, Christy Michael, the biggest problem when it was in the Seahawks, he had a tendency to not finish runs, to not really have the vision to basically play the kind of zone read uh, type that, like, there. Like, let's be honest, the Seahawks like physically outrageous running backs. Um, who do like who are willing to put their body on the line like Rawls, Lynch, and even CJ Prosa, as we'll discuss later, uh, have already like put like put themselves 110 percent into every play. While it looked like at points that Christine Michael was saving himself a little bit, I think that's the kind of thing that the Seahawks wouldn't really tolerate. But there was no doubting that when he hit the hole, he hit the hole really, really fast. That's the thing that gets you a lot of yards. So I think for a team which is really lacking in quality running back play. I think he definitely has a chance to make that. And I think Green Bay could definitely do with moving some adjustment back to the run, with Aaron Rodgers just looking lost right now, even though he's getting years to play in the pocket. Definitely one of the better situations he could have landed in. Um, so, like, you know, all the best to him and see how that turns out. Yeah, it'll definitely be definitely be interesting to see how that, uh, how that pans out. Uh, we had a, a suspension uh, this week as well. Alan Branch, the defensive tackle for the New England Patriots, Four-game suspension. Uh, last week we had a couple of them for PEDs. This one was for the Devil's Lettuce. He has been suspended for uh, smoking weed. He is appealing. We'll see how that goes. But once again, we're seeing this raise its head. Now, we know this is going to be a point of contention uh, in the next CBA. We mentioned this last week. Briefly, Ian, do you think this is just at this point, like this is a sign that this is something that just definitely has to change? Uh, I, look, I, I've been fairly militant about this from the get-go. I, I, I think it is just a ridiculous situation. I think the idea that it's not left up to individual teams to be able to discipline people along these lines. I mean, absolutely, if you're caught during a weekday, you know, whatever, before a game, I, I understand. But this automatic suspension, it, it just doesn't seem to fit with what we know about marijuana use, not just in the NFL, but across society in general. We know that it's like it's so prevalent anyway. And you know, the statistics that were released a couple of weeks ago about what was it, twenty five percent of players that they knew another player who had smoked before a game and stuff like that. There just has to be an overall rule change, uh, just to accommodate for what we know about 
usage within the league and stuff like that. I also think teams are probably better equipped with dealing with individual players than the league is, uh, and I think that maybe it should be left up to them as opposed to this hard and fast rule. That would be my take anyway, but yeah. Yeah, I think it's, a, it's an interesting point. Um, I think obviously the risk with leaving it to the teams is that they'll discipline superstar players differently than they would with guys who are less talented, but at the same time, the, the blanket approach certainly isn't working. It's not stopping players. Yeah. It is daft, and it does. It's, it's like it, Treating it the same as steroids, I think we can all agree, is a bit ridiculous, a bit yeah. unnecessary. Absolutely. So we had an interesting statement from Roger Goodell earlier in the week where he said that fans care more about the game than they do about player safety. Basically talking about, like, obviously trying to preserve the visual spectacle of the sport while at the same time trying to accommodate the needs uh, of, and health of the players. Now, he seems to be coming down on one side there and perhaps making a little bit of an excuse. But, Ronan, do you think that's a fair point, that fans do actually care more about the game they watch than the player safety and are happy to let players uh, get hurt and suffer, suffer concussions if it means the game is exciting to watch? Maybe in Donald Trump's America. <laughs> Sorry, liberal bias showing through. Yeah, yeah. There is that kind of aspect. Like we lie, like in certain sports, there is a certain visceral pleasure that comes from the very hard hits from you know this supreme physical effort. But we also recognise, you know, I hope, you know, these aren't just you know robots. These aren't just whatever. Like when robots replace NFL players, fine, you can let them hit each other as much as possible. Well, unless they're conscious, I don't know. But like. <laughs> But the main point to make is, you know, these are people, like, all the evidence is pointing to the fact that playing the NFL for a considerable period of time, or even a very small period of time, has significant effects on the health of that individual. Now, there's some of that that's unavoidable then that you could say is necessary risk, but there is no need for the sport to effectively encourage it and say this is something to do. All of the things that have happened to increase player safety, uh, although I think it's been overly focused on quarterbacks, and maybe to a lesser extent wide receivers, it all comes down to the fact that they, like, they have lives after football. We care about that. And the, like, the NFL has a bad record in this. It has a lot of things to make up. And, you know, these players, like, they're a major component of the sport. The sport wouldn't exist without them. And therefore, the fans should care about them. Do they care more about That's a different question. But the NFL should be more than just, like, fans want this thing. I should give it to them. They should care about the other stakeholder thing, the people who make the sport a thing in the first place. So about the truth of the statement, there's probably more truth than we'd like to admit, but whether we should go along with that, that like as, a, as an actual way we uh, organise the sport, that's what I dispute, something that we shouldn't do. I can't wait now for like the 2060 CBA negotiations where uh, Roger Goodell or whoever his successor is is having to sit down and talk to a sentient AI about what will happen to the <laughs> robot players in the league. But, uh, that's Robo just, Goodell. Yeah, <laughs> um, be like Nixon from Future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just a uh, Dean Blandino's body with no head as well yeah. <laughs> for the rules committee. <laughs> Uh, the Monday night game now down in Mexico for the first time, uh, which is an interesting experiment. Obviously, we saw uh, the effects of the altitude on the game. We saw quite a good good turnout, good reaction as well from the fans. So it looks like it was commercially very, very viable. A couple of concerns, though. What happens, it turns out, you have a load of primarily soccer fans in the stadium. They're going to shine laser pointers in, uh, in players' faces. I don't know what we can really do about that other than... <laughs> ban soccer fans from NFL games I'm not sure too many people would have a problem with that to be honest though Seattle Stadium might be empty all of a sudden but uh, that was a very unusual thing to see because it's not normally the done thing in the league and it's very 
a little, a little bit strange. I'm sure they'll find a way to deal with that. Probably more invasive strip searches at the entrance to games or whatever it is the NFL does these days. Um, or they could just hard no. Yeah, that's it. Just shine, shine lasers <laughs> in their face during practice. Yes. Like to be fair, it, 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 it's not going to affect Brock Osweiler's accuracy. Let's yeah. be let's be brutally honest. <laughs> the concerning thing, really, out of that game, laser points aside, was once again we saw some very strange refereeing decisions in a very high profile game. Um, there were a couple of uh, towards the end of the game when. Houston needed to score. They went for it on third and short and on fourth down. Both times were marked short. Both very questionable spots by the officials. And then we also had the DeAndre Hopkins no-call earlier in the game. He caught a long pass, uh, took it to the house, but the play was blown dead because they said he stepped out of bounds. Replays show that he probably didn't, but it's one of those things that's too hard to overturn during the game. It seems like we mentioned this a lot. At this point, particularly when it's happening in such high-profile games like this where it's their big marquee international thing first game in Mexico and the game is effectively being decided by poor officiating at this point does the NFL really need to prioritise giving the refs more help than they already do Imagine being, I would imagine that stadium is filled with a lot of kind of recent converts. You know the way when the NFL travels, it kind of brings, and it must have been really hard to have to watch, you know, to kind of see those mistakes made on such a, on a, on a big scale. It just, it does seem to be a little bit inexcusable at this stage, considering all of the technology. Whereas like, considering the differences between like the NFL and rugby, where it's a one-on-one relationship between the referee and the TMO but there's all of this technology for referees to uh, avail of in in the NFL and there's no time lag in other words that technology has been there for a long enough time it just seems inexcusable at this stage and I I mean what could they give referees more than they already have to to make those decisions I, I guess it seems to be just a question of keeping their heads when it comes to actually having to make those decisions in real time um, other than that, I'm not really sure there's much more you can do. Is there even an alternative kind of policy suggested, or is it... Well, this is it. This is, the, this is the question. I mean, they do already have a lot of technological help. The main bone of contention, I think, at the moment is whether or not making the referees full-time, and I have right. to be able to dedicate uh, all of their time towards that would do it, although, but that, that in of itself is, is, is debatable, how much, yeah. uh, how much the practice time would make a difference. But I, I do agree with you that it is, it is strange that we still get these, and it's never going to be perfect, Yeah, but such big calls... One other thing, it's like like every time there's a controversial decision, like Dean Blandino is wheeled out and justifies the NFL decision. It's very rare that he actually go out and say, okay, something actually went wrong, unless it's very clearly wrong. Yeah, there's basically no acknowledgement of the ambiguity that went into the decision. There's very much a closing of ranks very quickly around the whole thing. And it's like it's pretty standard in most sports, but it's not something that is really excusable in a sport like the NFL where you can review every single play pretty much without that much disruption. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I think I think the uh, the moment where we resulted in post truth refereeing was Dean Blandino's excusing of the uh, Duke Johnson fumble recovery not being called in that in that Cleveland game. That was, I think, the straw that broke the camel's yeah. back in a lot of yeah. ways. But no, I agree. There is a very uh, closing of the ranks thing that happens, and perhaps more self criticism from the NFL, and perhaps a more effective way of disciplining refs who make mistakes than just demoting them to refing the Browns the next week. Might be might be in order, which just means the Browns get more bad decisions. Poor Cleveland, like they just they just can't catch a break. It's a never-ending spiral of misery. It is. It is. All right, so I'm just going to run through. We had a couple of a uh, couple of records, but I'll just run through these and then through a few injuries. If there's anything that uh, particularly catches your eye, you particularly want to talk about, just uh, give a shout at the end when we're going through them. So, firstly, Steve Smith becomes the 14th ever player to get a thousand catches. A thousand catches later, he's still as thousand catches later, he's still as angry as when he first came into the league. But uh, fair play to him, very impressive. On the other end of that, Vinatieri, as you mentioned, after 44 field goals in a row, uh, streak ends. Probably inevitable, still a very, very good run he had there, particularly at the age he's at. 
Jeff Fisher uh, is now tied second for the most losses of all time with Tom Landry. He made it in over 100 games less than Landry, which is quite impressive. He's now three behind Dan Reeves for the most losses of all time. The critical thing here is that three more losses for the Rams this year means another 7-9 and nine season. So let's hope that Fisher can really reach that sort of pinnacle of Jeff Fisherness. <laughs> in terms of injuries, uh, in Indianapolis, uh, Andrew Luck is in concussion protocol. We've no timetable for his return. So we'll see what we'll see what emerges there. Obviously, that's, that's, that would be a big blow if he's gone. Uh, yeah, so it's, and it's, it's Thursday night football, or Thursday night that he's playing. So right. Yeah, short week. So that's def- definitely concerning for, uh, for Indy. In Cincinnati, uh, AJ Green has what was initially thought to be a hamstring tear. It's now just a hamstring strain. He's still going to miss uh, probably three to five weeks with that. So that's obviously a blow for Cincinnati. Gio Barnard tore his ACL. He's gone for the year. In Chicago, Jay Cutler uh, torn labrum in his shoulder. He's gone for the year. And Zach Miller broke his foot also out for the year. So not a great uh, not a great week for Chicago all in all. Seattle also had some problems. CJ Procise has a scapula injury in his shoulder. He's out for one or two months. Definitely the rest of the regular season. Earl Thomas, hamstring injury. Just a couple of weeks, he'll be back. And pretty much the same thing for Deshaun Shedd. So one to two weeks for a hamstring there. Carolina, Luke Keekley uh, concussed. Big blow for their defense, potentially. That was heartbreaking to yeah, watch. Yeah, it, yeah. It, was, it was not good, uh, absolutely. We don't know when he'll be back. It yeah, was, it's history on this of, of having longer than average times out due to concussion. Just be worried it, for going forward. Is it his second concussion in two years, or is it more than that? Yeah. yeah. I think, it, I think yeah. it's two concussions that have kept them out. Yeah. And the other one kept them out for like nearly a month, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, he did that for a while last time. It, it, it is concerning because obviously he's a, he's a phenomenal talent and very, very important to that Carolina defense. So hopefully hopefully it's not that serious, although with concussions you, you never really know. Mm. Uh, in Pittsburgh, uh, Cameron Hayward tours pectoral. That is a season-ender, nasty injury to have. Again, uh, he's been a very important player, very very strong on the line for them. So big blow for, for Pittsburgh. Philadelphia, they managed to lose not one running back, but two running backs. Ryan Matthews suffered a knee injury. He's day-to-day. And Darren Sproles had a rib injury, but he should be back for next week, so they'll probably be all right on that front. And uh, New England, our superstar special teamer, Matthew Slater, has some kind of mysterious foot injury because as a special teamer, we can't get any any information on this at the moment. But uh, that actually is fairly important for New England special teams if he's if he's going to be uh, gone for an extended period of time. He'll be questionable, which means anything. New England. Yeah, our entire 53-round <laughs> roster is at all times listed as questionable. Uh, <laughs> So they got rid of the probable designation, and uh, yeah. Belichick's like, oh, fuck you, everyone's questionable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, guys, so uh, we're going to move on now to our reviews of the games from last week. Okay, so we've got uh, one game in the Ring of Honor, one game in the Neutral Zone, and one game in the Dumpster Fire this week. So in the Ring of Honor, bizarrely, it's an AFC South game, Tennessee at Indianapolis. 17-24 victory for Indianapolis at the end in a really, uh, I was going to say back and forth affair, but it was just a, hu- a couple of huge momentum swings in this game that made it made it so interesting. Uh, Indy shot out to a 21-0 lead and almost managed to piss it away. There were shades of the game, game against Houston there for them, but they were able to hold together at the end, finish strong, and uh, effectively shut down Tennessee's offense. Mariota managed to stay perfect in the red zone. That's 31 touchdowns and no interceptions in the red zone in his career. But uh, that says nothing of Tennessee's perhaps inability to finish drives. Indianapolis's line actually played quite well. Their defensive line, five sacks, uh, which makes you really have to ask questions about the pass protection that's going on in Tennessee when that happens. Like guys like Eric Walden, Dequell Jackson, these are these are not young men. 
These are experienced, good players, but they shouldn't be able to terrorize um, a young, strong offensive line like they were able to uh, for Tennessee. They were also quite effective against the run. They limited DeMarco Murray, who's probably been one of the best running backs in the league this season, to 3.3 yards per carry. His longest run today was 8 yards. Uh, he, he did get a touchdown, but it was through the air. He didn't actually get a, get a running touchdown. Uh, Tennessee's rush defense, as usual, was also quite good in fairness, uh, limiting Frank Gore to 2.8 yards per carry. Andrew Luck had a strange game. He was uh, inaccurate for a lot of it, but he was effective when it counted. Sort of dropped off after that hot start. Uh, at one point, I think, had seven or eight straight incompletions and finished 15 of 28 overall, which is not great numbers uh, from, from a guy who's meant to be the franchise quarterback. On the flip side of that, T.Y. Hilton seems to be hitting form, uh, had a couple of great catches, uh, finished with just under 100 yards and a touchdown to his name. Tennessee also can have, I think, a little bit of hope looking at their receivers. We're seeing guys like Rashard Matthews and now in the last couple of weeks to Jay Sharp really emerge in there. My first question is then for Ian about, about Indianapolis. As I said, we saw uh, a much better pass rush here. Um, we saw improvements defensively. Perhaps there is more than Andrew Luck to this team. There's still a lot of holes, but they are in a weak division. Do they still have a shot now of making the playoffs? And can they get the other parts of the team to step up and give Andrew Luck a bit of help? Well, absolutely. I, I think, like, obviously they were given a big helping hand by Oakland this weekend. I think they're one game now uh, behind the lead in the division. What you were saying there about the pass rush comes under a general heading here, which is that Chuck Pagano wanted consistency, 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 which has been stunningly lacking from this team from the get-go this season. This is the first two games that they've won on the trot. Um, so that's great. Now, the problem with that is they're now going into a very tough week with no Andrew Luck against Pittsburgh. So the question is, can they actually keep up that consistency? I don't know. But there was a, a lot of positives. And the thing is, for this, like the pass rush was incredibly good in this game. They went from they went into the game as one of the worst pass rushing defenses in the league, and they managed to hold them to the numbers that you just which I won't rehash. But uh, they managed to hold them to those numbers, and also I mean they were part, played a part in like a, a pretty big play towards the end when Geethers absolutely smashed Marco Murray on their nineteen yard line. They kick the field goal, they, and then they come down. He uh, look hits T Y Hilton for the for the the winning touchdown. Um, so they they got them into the game to see that kind of improvement. You know, for two weeks in a row, that's incredibly heartening, and I think that they can go on. But really, I'm not really, I'm not really sure they're going to have much of a playoff run, even if they do manage to, <laughs> to win this division somehow. That said, I mean, one of the more remarkable things this season has been Ty Hilton. Um, the stats show if you hit Ty Hilton for 80 yards in a game, you win those games this season. And he was hit for 82 yards. <laughs> so uh, yeah, look, I mean, it's pretty clear that they have some some components of that team that can win them games, but I don't think they can do it on a long enough timeline for them to be serious contenders this year. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think, like I said, I think consistency is, is something we really, really need to see from Indianapolis if they can get it together. So then, Ronan, turning to the other AFC South team, uh, Tennessee, speaking of consistency, what is this team? This is not also not a consistent team. Uh, this is a team that we saw blow out Green Bay and then come up and put up this weird performance where they really only played for basically a third of the game, realistically. Can this team win games when DeMarco Murray and Delaney Walker are kept quiet. We've seen something from their other weapons, but really, when those two don't play well, this team does not win games. Is Mariota being given a chance to succeed? Is it him? Is it the system around him? What's causing this problem for Tennessee? They've established a certain way of playing. It's a solid way of playing, and it works in the league, but it's not uh, particularly exciting. Like it's, it's effective, and when it works, it's fine, but it's not going to the world away 
And Mariota this year, he's been, been very efficient and very good in that sense. But the lacking, the thing that you lack in Mariota is the thing that this team lacks in general, which is a kind of spark, basically. A, a sense that this is a team that, when the chips are down, is going to go up an extra level and actually take the game by the scruff of its neck and actually win the game easily. There's been a lot of times that they've won this year that they basically just ran DeMarco Murray, he's put up loads of yards, and then they've basically like, blown the game away without having to worry too much about moving up that extra level. Like, like, and that's not that surprising, because if you look over the entire team, there is no one that you're like, that's someone who pushes everyone forward. That's someone who's a standard bearer or a leader for the franchise. It's certainly not coming from the coach. Mike Malarkey has certainly outperformed what people have expected, but you're still not particularly inspired by him. It's not coming from the ownership, which is probably doesn't really want the team anymore, based on like what we've heard from them. Uh, it's just like it was inherited from uh, Budans, I believe. Like there's no Jerry Jones there. And then you know, on the offense, you have players like Demarco Murray, you have players like Delaney Walker, and these are good role players, but they're not players who form the identity of that team. Like even when Demarco Murray had his like supremely good season in Dallas, that was still Tony Romo's team. So that all comes down to like what do we expect from Marcus Mariota? Do we think Marcus Mariota is the type of player who can basically inspire the franchise? And right now, like he doesn't look like he has that ability. He doesn't look like a player that when he walks on the field, everyone's like, I'm gonna follow I would follow him into the gates of hell, that kind of situation. They just see him as a he's a very good player, he'll make plays, but he doesn't inspire people. He's just not one of those people who is a natural leader of men, or at least it doesn't seem like that so far. So I think for the team as a whole, there's that problem that I think they're still lacking in that sense of identity. I think they're a much better football team than they were a year ago or two years ago in terms of the components and the pieces and the game plan. But in terms of the actual next level up, showing that the Tennessee Titans are a real force who can be relied on to win games, they still lack that little bit of you know, je ne sais quoi. So you've got to look over the rest of the franchise and see if they can get that in some other way. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. There does need to be, I think, yeah, more of a wholesale change in Tennessee. Uh, so, moving on to the neutral zone, then we have Arizona at Minnesota, uh, twenty-four to thirty game. The main highlight for me was Limbo Joseph running over the sound guy coming out of the tunnel, which was amazing. So, yeah, other than that, pretty pretty average game. Oh, also, did you see the the tunnel entrance they have? It looks like a giant stone vagina. It's really weird. Like it's got like a clitoral. I, I I don't know what's going on down in Minnesota. It's a very strange place. This was one of the most perfectly paired, mediocre quarterback performances. Both defences played well, despite the high score. Like Palmer, 20 of 38 for 198 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Sam Bradford, 20 of 28 for 169 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. Just pretty bleh quarterbacking, balancing out this game. Uh, David Johnson had a pretty good game, as we're used to from David Johnson. 103 yards and a touchdown on the ground, 57 and a touchdown through the air. On the Vikings side, Adam Thielen is emerging as something of a weapon in that team. Five catches, 65 yards, and a touchdown uh, as, as Arizona took away Stephon Diggs for large parts of the game. Uh, everyone else was a bit was, was a bit rubbish. Uh, Cornell Patterson did get a nice little thing, though. He's the, with the uh, return, the touchdown that he scored, he is the first player in NFL history with four touchdowns that have gone over 100 yards, which is, is a nice little stat to have. The Minnesota defense was... Also fantastic, notwithstanding that special teams touchdown. We had, a, uh, I think, a 100-yard touchdown return from Xavier Rhodes, who also got an interception, one of two the team got, forced a fumble, four sacks, and caused all kinds of pressure. Carson Palmer dropped back to pass 43 times. Minnesota blitzed four times and hit him 
15 times. That's ridiculous. The pressure that D-line was getting, like 14 of those hits were from D-linemen. That's ridiculous. And that's what made made this game so difficult for, for the quarterbacks. Um, the Cardinals were good on the back end, but their their pass rush was, was, was difficult. Uh, they found it very difficult. And the spirit of Blair Walsh lived on as Kai Forbath had an extra point block. So that has solved nothing for, for the Vikings. So Ian, I'll, uh, I'll go to you first on this one again. From Minnesota, can their defense recover the form and can it actually show that it can bully teams with strong offenses rather than just uh, just weaker teams? They have a very weak slate coming up, realistically. They've got Detroit, Dallas, but then Jacksonville, Indianapolis, Green Bay, and Chicago. So they, you think they probably win at least four of those games. Is this defense going to be enough through those games to carry what's a pretty anemic offense to the playoffs? I don't think so, to be honest with you, and that's just because I think the offense is as anemic as it is. But like, what was really good was to see like a player like Danielle Hunter step up this weekend, and he had recorded his first multi-sack game in his career. He's a sophomore season, but I mean, he he hit two sacks in the second half of the game, which were pretty vital. And as you say, I mean, Minnesota defense was fairly. Uh, dominant in that game but it was still great to see like a young player kind of step up and no but the answer is no and the reason is as I say because that offense is so anemic Um, just looking at the Bradford stats I'd say I think they are probably the most Sam Bradford statistics (laughs) like if you had to sum up Sam Bradford a a quarterback with whom I am intimately acquainted as a Philadelphia Eagles fan um, I would say that those uh those stats are probably the most Sam Bradford but the thing surely, surely the most Sam Bradford game would be those stats and then he tore his ACL in the fourth <laughs> quarter <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 I like the Vikings this season because they are a team that's making the most out of what they have and that's what Bradford is he's a quarterback who gets the most out of what tend to be poor talent pools in this rosters and stuff like that so I think he you know but on the other side of it um, they're relying on sort of almost majestic once in a generation you know plays to win them that game like I mean the, so there was 100 yard interception and the 100 yard Patterson's kick return for 100 yards it became the first team in the NFL since 1962 the Cowboys to have a 100 yard interception and a 100 yard kick return um, they can't rely on that every single week and the thing is the problem with that offense is just a complete inability to establish the run game obviously because AP is out they're talking now like he may be back in December um, which would be a huge boost to them. But right now, as things stand, I think that offense is too anemic, as you say, to kind of be carried by what is an improving defense, absolutely, but uh, and, and has a lot of young talent, is perhaps not ready to carry a full team. Yeah, that, that, that's a fair take. I think the game against Detroit next week is going to be absolutely fascinating. Absolutely. I think, actually, yeah, yeah. So, Ronan, over to you then. Uh, for Arizona, Like, is this is the window closed now? Like, we're seeing Carson Palmer and Larry Fitzgerald, know they're still playing okay. Like, these guys are struggling. They're, they're clearly past their peak. This is an aging team in a lot of positions, and that seems to be showing. So, are, are they now at the stage where it's time for them to enter another phase of rebuilding? Yeah, like, the documentary that followed the Arizona Cardinals last year, uh, which was very good, you should watch it. All or Nothing has ended up being quite prophetic. Uh, it's hard not to look at last year as their opportunity, as their chance to get a ring for players like Palmer, like Fitzgerald, hmm. uh, and like really make an impact in the league. Uh, because this year, it, it's all fallen apart. Like Carson Palmer seemed to be unravelling towards the end of last year anyway, but it seems to have continued on to this year. And they really needed Carson Palmer to return to the form he was in at the beginning of last season, or for most of last season, to stand the chance. Like David Johnson is an amazing player, a phenomenal player, but there are very few running backs that can actually carry a team 
You only need to look at like Adrian Peterson, first ballot Hall of Famer, has never been able to really carry Minnesota to that much relevance throughout his Hall of Fame career. I think David Johnson, if we're not if they're unlucky, could end up in the same situation. I think Larry Fitz. I think you know his continued evolution means that he'll be around, but that just means that there's a massive, huge, open, gaping question mark about Carson Palmer, about quarterback, about what this team is. And like the coach Bruce Arians, you mentioned the health issues. He's not getting any younger. He's not going to do a rebuild. So this is the team that's going to have to make some pretty explosive moves in the off season, and they've been willing to do that in the past. But yeah, it's kind of hard not to see that this is a team that needed things to come around, needed Carson Palmer to come around, needed Tyron Matthew to, you know, legs not to explode again. <laughs> These things haven't happened, and now the team is facing a rebuild. While over the last few years, they haven't really had that many traffic, they haven't really had that many young players come true, this could be a very tough transition for a team. Hopefully it's not like a 49er situation. I think the team is a better organisation, but with the way this roster looks, the fact that that's even a potentiality has to be incredibly worrying for the fans in Arizona. Maybe they can turn this around, but right now, I wouldn't put any money on it. Mm. Yeah, that, that's fair. Although I say the Seahawks fan part of you is loving what's <laughs> happening to the other teams in this division. Well, no, like, you know, like the 49ers and Jim Harway, they, like, fuck those guys. Like, you know, Bruce Arians, he's, he's a character, and the Arizona Cardinals, there was a, like, there's a lot of players on the Arizona Cardinals that you could admire, and you could actually say, okay, they're good people, especially Larry Fitz, you know, he should have got his Super Bowl ring, was it like seven years ago at this point. Uh, the fact that he may end, end his career without a ring is a great tragedy. But like, I think the Cardinals are more likable than the 49ers were during their, uh, er, the, der, during their era of, of dominance or rivalry. And we're so far ahead, doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's, it's uh, nice to... Um, this is actually something I only found out recently. Uh, we're talking Larry Fitz being one of the good guys. Um, there's, if you look into his, uh, some domestic abuse allegations in his past that uh, are a little bit disturbing, but I haven't really, haven't really read that much about. So... Ah, anyway, dark clouds all, all all over the place in the NFL. You can't you can't trust anyone. Yeah, it's it's you can't yeah. trust anyone. It's fucking awful. Anyway, speaking of awful things, uh, although perhaps not quite as awful as domestic abuse, it was <laughs> the dumpster fire game, uh, which was Miami at Los Angeles, a fourteen to ten thing that happened. The start of my notes here just says, "Dear God, why." which I think is a reasonable sentiment about this game. Uh, everyone was bad and should feel bad, uh, except maybe J.H.I. and Aaron Donald, but, like, not good. Tannehill's numbers masked how bad he was in this game. He finished 24 of 34 for 172 yards, two touchdowns and a pick, which isn't terrible. But so much of that came right at the end of the game when they were trying desperately to win. Up to that point, he had been absolutely awful. He did not have a single completion in this game that went for more than 15 yards. Terrible. Goff looked completely unready. I think we can understand after that game why LA benched him 17 of 31 for 134 yards. Now, he didn't turn the ball over, didn't get any touchdowns either. It was just a, a nothing performance from a guy who just isn't ready for this level yet. He did show some good escapability getting away from the pass rush, but I, that's, that's really clutching at straws in that performance. And I, I think we can say that Goff might, might not be quite, uh, quite ready to play at this level yet. Like, the, the, the offenses just couldn't get anything going. Like, at one point, the two teams were combined. For one of 14 third down conversions, they finished a combined 3 of 24 on third down, which is just appalling. Two of those for LA. Miami got one third down conversion in this game, and they won Rams. Just the Rams. Also, for Ronan, there were 18 punts in this game. 18 of them. Now, Miami's ended up scoring twice in the last uh, last three minutes to win to mask what had overall been an inept performance, but against a team that was even more inept on on offense. 
it was it was a shame. It was it was a really 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 bad game. I got for the fans in LA excited to get a team back. That's Jesus. That's just not what you want to see. Or for Dolphins fans to travel the whole way across the country, it was it was really just not what you want to see. So I'll go to Ronan first on this. Um, I might have uh, get, spoiled this a little bit by reading out his stats. What's the future for this team? Can Goff be a part of that? And uh, what are they going to do about Jeff Fisher? What does he need to do to get fired? Or can he turn this around and also become part of the future of this team? When you watch this game, it was hard not to think of that, that song lyric. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. <laughs> like, during this game, it bucketed down for there the entire game. And the Rams held on to their 7-0 lead, basically due to the fact that neither team could do anything except for Todd Gurley once in the first quarter. Then the rain cleared up, and suddenly Miami Dolphins could actually play football. They could actually throw the ball, they could actually do things. And the Rams, the Rams were still the Rams. Jared Goff was still not ready. Todd Gurley is still a shadow of himself. The defense, while still quite effective, can't isn't good enough to carry an entire team for an entire game. It was hard not to come away from the conclusion that the only way the Los Angeles Rams win games is by playing terrible teams, playing the Seahawks, and playing in the rain. <laughs> and that's good enough to get you seven wins, apparently, but it's not good enough for you to have a good team. And the most clearly, the thing we clearly see now is that Jeff Fisher should be gone. Why is Jeff Fisher still the coach of the Los Angeles Rams? Why is Jeff Fisher still a thing? Why does this team exist? Why did it move to LA? This team is stupid. It makes no sense. I feel bad for the new fans. I feel bad for everyone except for Jeff Fisher. Fuck Jeff Fisher. And like Jared Goff may turn into an adequate quarterback. Maybe he could like uh, like maybe he'll be like a more quickly developing Alex Smith type thing. Won't have quite as many years, hopefully, of purgatory. <laughs> but overall, there are bits to ru- there are bits to build off here. There are certainly pieces that this could be a good team. They have lots of exciting bits. But Jeff Fisher destroys everything good in the world, everything good that could be life, and it just it falls to dust in his hands or mud because it was so rainy. Yeah, this team was terrible. As long as Jeff Fisher is in charge, this team is going nowhere. Uh, perhaps back to St. Louis, that's about all. Uh, so, yeah, fuck Jeff Fisher, get rid of him, and maybe this team, we can talk about it next year. That would be spectacular. I think for Jeff Fisher to really cement his legacy would be being so bad that the Rams get run out of LA after the next two years. That would be amazing. Also, it would make a silent stand cry, which as an Arsenal fan, I'm totally okay with because <laughs> fuck that guy. And the only reason I'm okay with him owning our club is because the other tr- guy trying to buy it actually killed people in Uzbekistan. Lovely. So, yeah. You're not going to get sued for that, are you? Oh, nobody listens to this. <laughs> 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 so, uh, Ian, then, from, from Miami's perspective, it was an ugly win, it was a bad sure. game, but it was a win. They're 6-4 and four now, which we would not have expected yeah. after the first few weeks of the season. It looks like they might have a chance of perhaps sneaking into the playoffs if yeah, one of the yeah. teams from the AFC West slips up. Like, their next run of games is looking at the 49ers, Baltimore, Arizona, the Jets, Buffalo, and then New England. Like, there's a chunk of winnable games in there. What does, it, does this mean that Miami are suddenly for real now? And should we give, perhaps be giving more credit to Adam Gase than he's got so far this season? <laughs> It's so funny that like even I think when the Dolphins have a run of good games, people are still so unwilling to believe that they might be a good team this season mm. or they might be a good team. Look, we know that in order to challenge, to properly challenge within the division, there is a huge step up needed from not just the last couple of seasons, but even from this season to get to where they need to be to be able to challenge the New England Patriots. That said, I think Adam Gaze has done a good job this season. I think... 
It was a terrible game. I like I didn't see a huge amount of it. It was a terrible game. But, you. Re- but remember, I was watching Red Zone. Remember, <laughs> luckily, uh, remember now that like a slight miracle occurred in this game in terms of the O line, right? Like the like Tunsil and Sam Young were injured in the first half, and then in the second half they moved around the O line, and all of a sudden. After well, it took him a while to bet into the game, but they did bet into the game, and the O line was pretty important for those uh, both of those touchdowns. They actually moved the pile for the first um, touchdown, and they gave Tannehill enough time for the second touchdown. That speaks, I think, to a kind of mentality within the team that I think Gaze has given them, which is a winning mentality. And look, in order for them to make that step up, they need to look at a better quarterback option than Ryan Tannehill. That said, in the last five games, his passer rating is ninety nine. Or sorry, his QB rating is ninety nine point three. He has been really good for the last five games, uh, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. But like you say, look, I mean, wild card place might be uh, a fair expectation for this season. Like they might actually be able to do that. But in order for them to actually kick on and challenge, like there's a lot of stuff that has to change. But I think they have a good base. I think Jai is like one of the most exciting players I've ever seen, and a really nice guy it seems as well. So <laughs> a franchise running back and a franchise quarterback, and they might actually start looking like a team. Yeah, definitely, definitely things to look forward to. And like I said, I think the quarterback is the big, big question mark. I think we're seeing uh, the coaches perhaps get a little more out of players who you might have written off before. I mean, yeah, Jai was left behind a few yeah, weeks yeah, ago. Like yeah, yeah. he wasn't even allowed on the team plane, and now he's here. so yeah. Uh, they're clearly doing something right. I also have to say thanks for that. The, the, the rolling mall TD they yeah, yeah, score, yeah. that was <laughs> that was yeah. amazing. Don't see enough of that yeah, in, yeah. In, in football. It's funny actually. Just I mean, just uh, watching American commentators. I mean, they sort of sort of saw that as cheating. They were kind <laughs> of like they were a little sneering at the fact that they'd moved the pile. And like, yeah, hey, no, it's, it's it all counts. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's good uh, when you're six and four. Everything counts. Absolutely, well, it's physical football. Nothing wrong with it. Uh, not dangerous at all. And it was it was good to see them. Uh, like I said, the drive. And desire that showed. So that was the uh, that was the games from uh, last week. We're now going to move on and uh, take a question from one of our listeners. So our question uh, today comes in from Dark, and Dark wants to know: you know, in other sports, we see two-legged or even multiple-legged uh, playoff games happen. So you know, in, in soccer, you've got two legs and a lot of uh, competitions. So Champions League, for example, in uh, obviously baseball and basketball, you have seven-game series. Is this something you want to know that the NFL might uh, consider for the playoffs? Could this Is this something that would work? And is this something that would sort of improve what we're seeing here and maybe maybe give the fans a little something extra. So I'll go over to uh, to Ian on this first. What do you make of what do you make of that? Obviously hockey, you know, the, these other games that you're talking about where they have multi-leg playoffs and stuff like that. They're very physical games. I don't think that they're at the level of physicality that the NFL is at. Knowing what we know with the the season the length that it is now, the way the playoff games are actually scheduled. Um, the attrition rate is so high, even at this stage in the season. The amount of injuries that are just cropping up now. and I, I just think that the attrition rate is too high under the current paradigm for it to actually be in any way conducive towards player safety, first of all. In terms of the spectacle, I personally really enjoy the knockout, winner-takes-all aspect of the playoffs. I think that you know a multi-game playoff system might detract from that a little bit. It would require significant, not only schedule changes, but probably rule changes, and which goes back to what we were talking about Goodell's statement earlier on. But yeah, I, for me, it's just I don't think it's possible. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair point. You are looking at potentially three extra games for yeah. a wild card team uh, just to get to the Super Bowl. So yeah, okay, okay, I, I definitely definitely take that. Uh, Ronan, what do you make of this? 
Like, I, th- I think from a certain extent, uh, the NFL thrives versus other sports on the fact that there's artificial scarcity. Partially, of course, because due to the attritional things, but partially because I think the NFL likes being to a certain extent random, being to a certain extent that anything could happen. Like, in a fair league, in a fair way, who should win the league at the end of the year should be the one who has the most points or something like that, mm. like you have in soccer and stuff like that. But that's not what people want. People want these exciting, down-to-the-wire moments where anyone can win, where the New York Giants you know, can go from a wild card to a Super Bowl, uh, those kind of situations. That's what the NFL sells itself on, and that's less likely in a two-legged playoff thing. I think the other technical reason why two legs doesn't really make sense for the NFL is because it's a point-rich like a point-rich sport where you have a relatively large amount of points, whereas the two-legged approach, the tension that you get from that, generally comes from the relative scarcity of things. So, like, soccer is perfect for that because you usually only have maybe one, two, three goals. The tension ratchets up again and again during the game due to that. In the NFL, you're probably more likely than not going to see a cumulative effect where someone has a really big lead and can hold on to that lead uh, by scoring more points. So I think, like, in, in a game where only a small number of events, but I think over the course of two games, more likely or not, the better team will already be fairly far ahead uh, by the end of the two legs. So I don't know if it works quite as well as the sports which do go with this particular format. I was just thinking there, I absolutely agree with you, but just on attrition and injuries and stuff. So you imagine that the, the NFL, imagine a situation where the NFL says, okay, we're going to have this situation in, in two seasons' time, we're going to figure out how to do it, and the season's going to be this long, we're going to make all the changes necessary or whatever. Can you imagine the amount of injuries in that first season as they're adjusting towards this new system like if I was the players union I would not be okay with them doing this considering how bad the NFL is at looking after players imagine that like I say that first season okay maybe in five years time you might be able to figure it out that first season after you do it man that would be you know, it catastrophic for a lot of players. I think. Yeah, I think that, that's a fair point. I mean, um, I've also seen the union always being even resistant to the idea of just an extra game being added to the schedule, which is a yeah. long-standing thing the league has wanted to do. I, I, I agree with a lot of what you guys said. I think obviously home field is the other critical thing. The reason why teams try in the last few weeks of the season is is to get home field advantage. And also the other thing is if a team goes up big in the first game, uh, how are they going to play in the second game? Which I actually think could be quite interesting because you're looking at the actual teams mm-hmm. now trying to preserve a certain score which I think does change the metric and I think from that aspect is is interesting the one thing the thing I will say in defense of this is I think from the fan perspective which I don't think has really been discussed here is that this is potentially very exciting where there are close games where close games happen and close games often happen in the playoffs where teams overperform or underperform and then you have an entire second leg where you go to the second city and the fans are able to actually engage with that so I think that idea is is quite important is something that hasn't uh, I don't think you guys have, have really Hit on there. Uh, also, like commercially, obviously the NFL would love this. They'd be rolling in money. Absolutely. But um, overall, I do think it's probably fair to say that it's the, the nature of the sport and the way it's structured probably isn't, isn't particularly conducive to this. Uh, it's difficult to do in the NFL. But thanks very much, anyway, with Derek for asking. It was interesting. It was something that actually gave us a gave us a lot of pause for thought there. Uh, even even if we even if we do disagree. With that done, let's move on to our picks for next week. Okay, so we'll try and get through these now. Don't have a huge amount of disagreement, to be honest with you. So we'll lash through them. So firstly, uh, Minnesota at Detroit. This is Ronan's pick of the week, so I'll fire this one over to him. Yeah, like this is a massive game. Like I think the Lions can have that Dolphins problem where no one really wants to trust the Detroit Lions because they went a whole winless season once. Remember that? (laughs) 
and obviously they're, they, they, they've been adjusting to uh, life without Calvin Johnson ever quite well it seems um, so Detroit has been a team like I think earlier in the season I said one of those teams that you really it was very difficult to get a read on them and I think it, that's still pretty much true like the offense has completely changed Matt Stafford has gone from being one of the most random completely erratic quarterbacks in the league to one of the most efficient like basically most situation, situationally aware quarterbacks and you know you have to give a lot of credit or you know it's very tempting to give a lot of credit for that to uh, Jim Bob Cooter and who uh, you know is probably you know with another year of this may be in the head coaching uh, ranks before too long and I think like Detroit have shown a lot of stuff that's really uh, really good on offense and that's been willing to spread the ball around willing to get every playmaker in like at various parts of this season Marvin Jones has been the focal point Golden Tate Eric Ebron is now coming into his own uh, Theo Riddick like they're spreading the ball around they're getting different players involved they're moving the point of attack and they're really being a very diverse offense and the defense has overall been better than we might have expected like they've had some good plays from players like Slay and they've had Ziggy Anza has been injured but now that he's back you see that there's a bit more pressure coming from that front overall Detroit look like a good solid unit and look like they could like be a potential win the NFC or, or be a potentially a wild card uh, contender on the other hand, you have Minnesota, who are like even harder to get a read on. Well, not like in certain ways are, in certain ways not. I think the hardest thing to read is like where are they going to finish the season. Like their defense is elite. Their special teams, Cordell Patterson's one of the best returners in the league. But I think as Ian intimated uh, in, in the review of the Arizona game, the offense is anemic. Now some of that comes down to the injuries that they've had on the offensive line. Um, but like last week against Arizona they got, got some things going there was a period in the middle of the season where the offense literally could not do anything was literally dead in the water whereas now they're starting to put together not a good offense but perhaps maybe a below average league offense that can make some yards can make some points can do some things I think Adam Thielen's had a few good uh, had a few good weeks uh, Stefan Diggs is starting to come on a little bit if Minnesota's offense if that trend can continue and the offense can start getting back towards league average, that defense is good enough to carry them towards the NFC North. This is a massive pivot point for the entire NFC North because while Green Bay uh, are currently you know, on the down and out, you wouldn't really count them out quite yet. So the team who wins here has a chance to make a real statement uh, and really push ahead. If Detroit can win, obviously that gives them tiebreaker over Minnesota. That is absolutely massive. And that's why Minnesota really need to win this game. Like right now, Detroit looking like a more complete team, but Minnesota have the more spectacular pieces. So it'll be interesting to see whether some of parts can beat uh, the team which has the more, you know, maybe all-pro elements in it. And we'll see how that works out. I think it's going to be a great game and a really good opener for the Thanksgiving slate. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. Sorry, I should point out, uh, myself and Ronan have both sided with Detroit on that one, I forgot to say, whereas Ian and our absent friend Connor have, uh, have both taken... Both taken Minnesota. So that's a pretty pretty good overview there. So then the next game is Washington at Dallas, uh, which is actually my pick of the week. I think it's a really interesting one. Now, everyone's taken Dallas on this one, including myself. But I think it's obviously a important game in division. Perhaps not important for the closest of these teams because uh, Dallas are a little bit ahead out in front of that division now. But this is a Washington team that has really gone from being a can crusher earlier in the season to a team that actually genuinely looks like it has got hot where pieces are coming together we're seeing guys like Jamison Crowder play at a really really high level uh, we're seeing a bit more from Pierre Garçon this season uh, obviously when Jordan Reed is healthy he's been very good Cousins is playing really really good football and enough to I think once again now put Washington in a position where they're going to have to make a very difficult decision at the end of the season about what to do with him 
because it's his level of play has elevated to that point. The defense also looks um, has looked reasonably good. Josh Norman has had a good few weeks uh, throughout this season, whereas Dallas have just been well. Like, I mean, we've discussed Dallas a bunch of times. Ziggy Elliott, turns out, might actually be a once-in-a-generation talent. Uh, Dak Prescott's looked really good. The defense, while without having any like superstars in it, is playing really, really well collectively as a unit. So it's going to be interesting to see now with that Washington offense that is probably the best it's been playing recently hits into a Dallas team that is extremely well-rounded, that has repeatedly been able to dig itself out of very, very tough spots throughout the season, has shown real uh, fortitude. If this is a game that Dallas win, I don't think we'll be surprised. I think you have to favor Dallas in this because of how they've been playing, because of how they've dealt with adversity in a way that Washington haven't really been able to or haven't really had to this season. If Washington can win this, it's a huge psychological change because for them, if you can beat a team that right now looks like the best team in the NFL and they're in your division, there is no reason you can't go on to run the table. For Dallas, it's going to cause all kinds of questions if we can't beat the Mazungus, who... Oh, I probably should explain that to you, Ian. <laughs> Mazungus is a, a pejorative term used in Tanzania for white people. <laughs> so given uh, Washington's name, they are now called the Mazungus on this podcast. <laughs> Because, uh, you know, we're very cultural and we all love to this yeah. message. Yeah. That's it. Excellent. But uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see how that, how that stacks up. Whether or not, like, Norman is going to be able to play at the level he's been playing recently against the likes of Des Bryant. Whether or not this improved defensive front is going to be able to stop Ziggy Elliott. Whether or not Kirk Cousins is going to be able to deal with a really well-drilled and well-organized collective defensive unit in front of him. That's what's going to make this, I think, really interesting to see for where both teams are coming into the last stretch of the season, coming into that home stretch, and how strong and weak they finish might depend on a game like this that has those kind of implications. Uh, he truly is the meme master of the NFL, is our Kirk Cousins. Uh, so we have uh, LA at New Orleans. Everyone's taken New Orleans, except me, who has traditionally taken my 79 bullshit call for the week. Which is this week also New Orleans. So, uh, Ian, uh, why why New Orleans in this one? Yeah, look, I mean, I haven't seen a huge amount of New Orleans this season. They are, however, the best all-purpose offensive team in the league, uh, which is a strange statistic, isn't it? But, uh, look, I mean, all of those growing pains that we were talking about with regard to LA, look, they're only going to get worse as the season gets on. And it's pretty clear to me that they're fairly one-dimensional in their scope to kind of... Uh, go on so look I think that a team that has bedded into the season the way New Orleans have with their hiccups here and there I think they're probably going to do it yeah that's fair sorry I actually passed over one there um, which is Pittsburgh and Indianapolis apologies for that we've all taken Pittsburgh except Ian who's taken Indianapolis I don't know if that was before or after the Andrew Luck concussion oh it was very much before do you want to change that one Uh, yeah look I mean I I think I probably am going to change it but What we were saying earlier on about consistency, like consistency is a luxury that they're not going to be able to afford this week. They started their, their starting offense, their offensive weapons were on the field for the first time since week two last week. And now luck is out. Look, I don't, I, I don't see them coming out of this with a win. I think, I think that's, that's fair. Like the loss of Andrew Luck is obviously, obviously huge in that context. We have then Tennessee at Chicago. Ronan, why have we all taken Tennessee? Well, firstly, Chicago will be playing... God, who will they be playing? Someone terrible. It's that quarterback who was terrible, and it's still terrible. Okay. Um, <laughs> but obviously, they've gone through Brian Hoyer already, so they're onto their third-string quarterback, and like their starting quarterbacks were Jay Cutler and Brian Hoyer, so that kind of tells you where they are right now. And Tennessee, they're solid. If they get the run game going, which they should be, although Chicago has a surprisingly solid uh, front for stopping the run, they should be fine. Like I think 
like Tennessee have generally put, a, put away the garbage teams uh, this season. I think they should have enough for Chicago. Yeah, uh, so we're, all, we're frantically Googling there, and it turns out that the next man, man up for the Chicago Bears is Matt Barkley, who Ian may remember oh. from his <laughs> Philadelphia <laughs> days. <laughs> uh, so yeah, not looking good for uh, Chicago. Arizona and Atlanta, we've all taken Atlanta. Basically, look, uh, Arizona, as we saw last week, are, are just look, at, look a little bit uh, overwhelmed at the moment. The team doesn't have a huge amount of direction. Atlanta are one of the best offenses in the league, have been looking to make a strong statement, and should be able to continue to do that against a uh, Cardinals team that is is depleted in some ways, but also seems to be seems to be showing its age a little. Next up, then we have the New York Giants at the Cleveland Browns. We've all taken the New York Giants, Ian. Uh, I mean, that's a fairly obvious pick. <laughs> I, I do I really have to explain this one? Like, <laughs> no, that's probably explanation enough. Let's yeah. be really honest here. Uh, Cleveland, we love you, but oh god, uh, it's it's not great. Then, moving on, we have San Diego at Houston. Now, we've gone from San Diego across the board on this one. Uh, Ronan, why is that? Well, it's kind of counterintuitive. Houston have actually been very good at home. They had a decent game against Oakland. Like, the main reason I picked San Diego is because I don't want Houston to win, because Houston are a terrible team <laughs> who consistently put up dirge football. You know, Brock Osweiler does not deserve to be in the playoffs. Let Like, stop Brock Osweiler. Couldn't stop Trump. <laughs> Let's at least stop Brock Osweiler. <laughs> Philip Rivers, 2016. <laughs> the next game, then, is uh, Jacksonville at Buffalo. We've all taken Buffalo. Look, I mean, Buffalo have looked a little bit not great recently. The Bills have been struggling in some ways. The team seems to be constantly in flux. Doesn't really seem to have much of an offensive identity, particularly with Shady McCoy struggling with injuries. On the other hand, Jacksonville are just a bad team who, last week, we saw the Detroit Lions turn up and do like an impression of just the worst Detroit Lions and Jacksonville still couldn't put them away Blake Bortles is still terrible he's still throwing heroic game ending interceptions like we used to compare him to, to Roethlisberger I think now the best comparison is like Jay Cutler when Jay Cutler is in a particularly don't care mood like Jacksonville it's just very difficult to pick them right now the team is is just all over the place Cincinnati at Baltimore and AFC North clash everyone here has gone with Baltimore Ian uh, look, the the choice for Baltimore here is, um, I think they've played some good football this year, but the big thing is, of course, the fact that AJ Green, Giovanni Bernard are out. Um, it's going to be uh, a very, very tough day at the office for uh, the Bengals there, and a huge chance for Baltimore to strike a blow within the division. I think they're going to do it. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, next up, then, we have San Fran at Miami. Uh, we've all gone with Miami. Ronan? Yeah, it's, it's actually weird. Like San Francisco has played better the last few weeks, especially... Like, they put up a decent challenge to the Patriots in the first half. Like, they didn't look any worse than some of the other teams that the Patriots have blown out. And against Arizona, they took them to the very last play. But Miami are on a roll. They've got confidence. They've got a run game going. That should be enough to get them over San Francisco, particularly at home. But uh, I just want to note that San Francisco have had some growth in the last few weeks. So it'll be interesting to see if that continues or whether they just wilt towards the end of the season. That's yeah, it's amazing what you can do when you uh, bench good Blaine Gabbert. And move on to anyone who is not playing Gamers. Uh, so the next game is uh, Seattle at Tampa Bay. We've perhaps unsurprisingly gone for Seattle across the board on this one. Basically, look, yeah, Tampa Bay might have upset Kansas City, but they didn't look particularly good while doing it. The problems of this team are still manifestly evident. 
outside of a few star players, there's still like a, a big lack of consistency. Um, Jameis Winston in particular. Seattle now are hitting their standard late season stride. Wilson's looking healthier with each passing game. The connection between him and Doug Baldwin once again in the back half of the season is getting hot. Thomas Rawls is back and was tearing it up last week. Even so, the loss of pro size probably won't matter that much. So you think Seattle should go into Tampa Bay and win this one? Just as an aside, I would yeah. argue that they actually this is one of the like this is the best look for a Seahawks offense in a very long time. I mean, it's the most balanced certainly, and uh, you know even without Marshawn. Anyway, sorry. No, 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 no. I think that's I think that's de- no. That, I think that's definitely fair. I think this is definitely a uh, much more diverse and uh, multifaceted Seahawks offense than we've seen in a while. I think Ronan would would certainly agree with that. That's something you've uh, that's something you've expressed several times in this podcast, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, but I won't go on it again. We're running out of time. Uh, well, of course, you know, you know, you've talked about the, the Russell Wilson to Doug Baldwin connection. What about the Doug Baldwin to Russell Wilson connection? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Did, you, did you see him flipping off the sideline after the play call came in? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he wasn't happy, but he made, he made the best of it. Uh, so yeah, something you normally say for the playoffs rather than just sort of styling on your opponent, but that's that's just Seattle. Um, then our next game, New England at the New York Jets. Unsurprisingly, we've all gone for New England across the board in this one. Ian? Yeah, look, I just keep getting the easiest ones to call here. Uh, <laughs> look, this is such a great example of two teams just at the opposite end of the spectrum. It's just such a mirror image. It's just the classic New York Jets scenario of QB madness and the Pats, like, imperious <laughs> kind of... Uh, you know, look, they, they, they ran over a team last week. They're going to run over a team this week. It's going to be very sad. We, we'll all shed a single solitary tear for Fireman Ed. Carolina at Oakland. We've all gone for Oakland in this one. Ronan? Yeah, like Carolina have shown some spirit. They've, like, they've put, up, they, like, put up some things, but it's still hard to see a way back for them into the playoff hunt. They'll certainly give Oakland a good game, but Oakland right now are a team on a roll and a team with a lot of, a lot of belief in themselves. I think they should have enough to overcome Carolina, especially if Keekley is out. I think that's a huge loss for that defense. So, like, I think on balance, you have to go for Oakland, and the streak continues. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Next up, Kansas City at Denver. Now, Fizzle's gone for Denver. Ian's gone for Denver. Connor, who isn't here, so he can't defend himself, went for Kansas City. I was close on this one. I was originally Kansas City, and I was like, no. No, Connor can be by himself when he's not here, and I flipped to Denver. (laughs) (laughs) It's... You know, Denver don't look great right now. There are obviously problems on the offense. The defense is still good, but not perhaps as great as it was the previous season. I think we know that very well by this point. But there's something wrong with Kansas City, and we saw it this week. This is a team that can't finish tries. This is a team that is incapable of taking risks. This is a team that is going full Andy Reid at this point. Uh, Alex Smith has not looked right since coming back, and you've got to wonder if perhaps if perhaps his, uh, his head injury was perhaps a little more serious than the team initially let on. And of course, Kansas City are probably going to be without Marcus Peters, their best defensive back. So with that being the case, you think that Denver, despite their problems passing the ball, are going to have a little bit more luck here than they might have done were Peters in this game. So to me, yeah, that's the critical factor. The lack of Peters and Smith still looking wobbly means that I'm going to give Denver at home uh, an edge to take take over what will be uh, a very critical uh, game in the division. It's probably a close game. I'd say it'll be an ugly game, but I think that's the kind of game that Denver... Uh, can do if they can show that they can finish drives in a way that Kansas City have shown themselves to be incapable of in recent weeks. Uh, almost allergic to running the ball in the red zone. Now, final game then, our Monday night game, Green Bay at Philadelphia. We've all, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have said this before the season, we've all gone for Philadelphia. It's a unanimous call, and this is uh, Ian's pick of the week, so throw it over to you. Yeah, look, I think, uh, look, I'm a Philadelphia fan, there's nothing, make no secret about that, but uh, look, I, 
the thing here is uh, we've all gone for Philadelphia and I don't think it's as easy as that like I think the problem with this game is that Carson Wentz and the team are going to be faced with a couple of options a team that we would have said were similar at the start of the season in terms of capabilities was Atlanta Um, we beat Atlanta by playing a very close ball protection game didn't allow Wentz to get out of the the gap really to kind of strut his stuff the problem here is the question about whether you let Wentz go up against a team and throw the ball against these guys who give up 265.6 yards a game on average uh, to passing attacks or whether you play that close ball protection game and my fear is that when you give a quarterback as young as Wentz that, that kind of opportunity we don't you know know exactly how he's going to react to that but we do know that they will put a huge amount of pressure on him and that's one thing they've managed to do quite well this year at Green Bay so I'm a little bit worried about how he's going to react that said I absolutely am 100% on board the Wentz wagon um, <laughs> I think that apart from a few sort of apart from like a, a disciplinary problem really with the Eagles I think this team has uh, been unfortunately very underrated for the season um, I think that we will manage to do it but the thing about it is as well it's such a an important game it's not a game that I think we will win I think it's a game that we have to win I think it's a game that we have to win for Wentz's confidence and for this kind of project because you can eat all the losses against teams like the Seahawks that you want you still have to win one or two of the, uh, these games and what it will do for a quarterback like Carson Wentz at the age that he's at in his rookie season to take Aaron Rodgers' scalp that could be real catalyst going forward and uh, hate that phrase but uh, a real catalyst for us because we're still fighting for a wildcard spot so yeah there you go yeah I'm not that it would help if their wide receivers could catch the ball look I know yeah. alright so <laughs> here's a fun stat uh, when Doug Baldwin completed his pass to Russell Wilson for the touchdown it was a 15 yard pass at that point in the game the wide receivers in Philadelphia had combined for 15 yards as well. I know. So, yeah, I think the play of Matthews and Aguilar is going to be very important. Yeah, and look, garbage time definitely flattered us in that game. I mean, it's pretty clear that we cannot hang with the Dallas Cowboys and the the Seahawks. You need to say Cleveland Browns. Sorry, that's a (laughs) Cleveland Browns. Yeah, it's pretty... (laughs) That would be grim. It's a Freudian penis. Um, But... uh, uh, yeah, look, I think when it comes to teams that are on a downward slant the way like Green Bay, we should really be trying to turn them over. Yeah, I think that, that's the fair. That's fair. That's lots to look forward to uh, in that game anyway. And uh, yeah, I think Philadelphia, there's reasons, definitely, definitely the reasons you say are, are good ones. They should be able to to edge this one, uh, if not if not run away with it, if they if they if they find themselves up early. So that's that's pretty much everything from us, uh, guys. Any any other thoughts? Any plans for the future? Anything interesting? Football-wise. <laughs> your life, I don't know. This is the yeah. section of the podcast where we usually talk about like the existential nature of death. <laughs> <laughs> we, we did actually, I want to shout out one thing. We, we were actually going to have two dumpster fire games because we hadn't really talked about the New York Giants or the Chicago Bears all that much this season. They've really got very, very few mentions outside of incidental ones. There is a reason. Yeah, exactly. And that's the reason. And we were like, oh, we'll talk about these guys in the dumpster fire. And then we came to it. We were like, ah. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, if you're a fan of either of those two teams, my condolences. But, well, yeah. the Giants are actually doing pretty well. They're just doing it in a kind of boring way. They're kind of lost in the in, in the mix of all these teams which are doing so much in the NFC. I heard, I heard a stat over the weekend. Jay Cutler and Eli Manning have turned the ball over more than any NFL quarterbacks. Really? Apparently. Last decade. Yeah. In the last decade, yeah. I'm not so, Oh, I suppose Manning did have that really bad season a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He has a, he's had a couple of those, I think. Yeah, it feels like he does have one of them every couple of years. And also, he, he, he just is a bit thick sometimes. And... <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, speaking of thick, you were saying something earlier about hard knocks, right? Oh, I was just saying, I hadn't really gotten a chance to talk to either of you in a while, so I didn't really get to talk to you about hard knocks. But uh, I just, like, I mean, it's such a facile point, but, like, I remember watching it over the summer and just thinking, like, the, the LA Rams have to be the dumbest football team. Like, between Fisher, Goff, and that player, the dinosaur and mermaid Hayes. thing. Yeah, Hayes. Hayes. Like, it was such a harbinger for the, for the season that these guys just were like, I've never seen thickness of this level. Like, anyway, yeah. You know, you didn't see much of Aaron Donald. Yeah. Right, guys, well, I think that's everything. So, uh, thanks very much for listening, as usual. Um, so, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from not Connor. Yes, none of us are Connor. <laughs> Hasn't this been great? Yeah. yeah. Thanks very much, guys, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>